friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. to go to God's Word, I'd like to request everybody to please rise from their seats. And we will now begin a new book. We will be going to the book of James. And today, let's begin by reading James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And at the count of three, I'd like all of us to please read aloud together with me. One, two, read. James, a bondservant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Shall we bow our heads in prayer at this time? Our Heavenly Father, we give thanks and praise to you for everything that you've done in our lives. Lord, we are so grateful because you have been faithful, you have been gracious, you've poured out your blessings upon us, and Lord, what else can we say except thank you for the many good things that you do, the many blessings that you pour out in our lives, and Lord, we trust that your good purposes will also be accomplished this morning. We pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to be upon us. We pray that you will speak to each and every one of us. I pray for myself, O God, equip and empower me to do your work this morning. And Lord, I trust that you will anoint my lips of clay, that I might be your voice to your people. And whatever is going to be achieved, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Thinking Well of Our Storms. Now, the Bible says that we are a peculiar people. And one of the reasons why we are called a peculiar people is not because we're strange, but because we are different. We are different in terms of the essence of what we believe in, and we are also different in the sense of how we respond to certain things, how we react to certain things. We respond and react in a peculiar way. Now, this passage that we will be studying this morning, which deals with trials, is one of the instances wherein you and I respond rather differently. I'm going to pull back a while. I'm going to show you what we will be teaching this morning. Let me give you a little outline so that you will understand the flow of this morning's sermon. Well, first of all, in verse 2, we will be talking about responding Enjoy to trials. That's the call of God for us. Now, secondly, we will talk about the result of trials. When we respond in joy, that will result in endurance. And finally, we will talk about the result of endurance, which is spiritual maturity, which is found in verse 4. Now, I don't know exactly what you are going through at this particular time, but I assume that there are some of us who are facing challenges. Probably some of you are facing difficulties in your life, or probably some of you have been hurt. Maybe you've experienced some kind of unfair criticism or injustice. Maybe some of you are having difficulties with your business. Or maybe there are some of you who have difficulties in your marriage right now. Or maybe some of your children are beginning to rebel against you. 
Some of them are probably taking drugs. Some of them are partying and drinking alcohol. And you don't know what to do. You don't know how to respond. Again, let me tell you that we are a peculiar people. First of all, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We have God in us. And because God is in us, definitely we should be able to respond in a different way in the way the world responds to certain things. So I'd like to begin, first of all, by introducing to you the author before we go to the three points that I mentioned to you. Because even with the author, there are many lessons to learn. So in verse 1, it goes, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this was the greeting of James to the Jewish diaspora, the Jews who were spread all over the Roman Empire. And the reason why I'd like to introduce James to you is because just by the greeting in itself, it already evokes humility. And you and I know that humility is one of the things that God is looking for in us. Now, why do we say that this greeting evokes of humility? Well, first of all, James happened to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, this is something that probably some of you do not know. Jesus happens, I'm sorry, James rather, happens to be the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And this tells you, by the way, that, G, that Mary, rather, did not remain a perpetual virgin. She was only a virgin until the birth of Jesus Christ. Right after that, Joseph and Mary physically consummated their marriage, and the result of that was that they had children. And so Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters. Now, having said that, you and I notice here that James was not boasting that his brother was Jesus Christ. He was not boasting that he was an apostle. He had no star complex whatsoever. James had no star complex whatsoever. In fact, if you look at this passage, he looked at himself as a bond servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he saw himself not as being superior to other believers, but equal to all men, equal to all believers, and also a mere servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he saw himself as a property of God. Now, why do I say that? How can we say that he saw himself as a property of God? Well, if you take a look at the Greek word that was used here to translate bondservant, it is the Greek word doulos, which means a slave. That would be the more literal translation, a slave. Now, one Bible scholar by the name of Bennett remarks that the term emphasizes the supreme and absolute authority of the master and the entire submission of of the slave. In other words, when you call yourself a slave, you recognize the fact that you have no rights. For after all, as believers in Christ, we have been bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the book of Corinthians tells us that we no longer own our lives, but rather God owns us. And if that is the case, God has full rights over our lives. Having said that, that means we are to yield and submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must follow and obey every beck and call of our master. That is why we do not just simply call him Savior, we call him Lord. He rules over our lives. And if Christ is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. Now notice, James recognized everything in relation to God and Jesus being his master. Here we find that he calls his half-brother Jesus as Lord. 
That tells us that not only did he see his half-brother as a Messiah, as the anointed one, as the Christ, and as the Savior, but rather he also saw Jesus as God. We see here a vivid and powerful change in the attitude of James because previously in the Gospel of John chapter 7, verse 5, we are told that the brothers including James, the brothers of Jesus did not believe in him. So they were unbelievers during the time of the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But interestingly and amazingly, the grace of God came upon James. He became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, he became a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why, friends, this should be an encouragement to all of us. Now, the word James, or rather the name James, actually is, should, or rather should be translated as Jacob. Why do I say that? Because the Greek word that was used for the name James is iakobos. It is not certain, however, why the translators chose James instead of Jacob. Having said that, however, we find certain similarities between James and Jacob because they were both very strong-willed people. And it was difficult to actually change Jacob. And we could say the same thing with James because he was an unbeliever. But like Jacob, James became what God wanted him to be. Not only a believer, but also an apostle of Jesus Christ. So I'd like you to think about certain people right now whom you think might be incorrigible. People whom you think cannot change or cannot be impressed with the merits of the gospel. Herein, we find the power of God to change people. And friends, there might be some people you are praying for, and some of you might be losing hope because you're thinking, this person cannot change. But friends, if God could change James, he could change your person or the person you are praying for. If he could change Jacob, he could change other people as well. Now, James also understood his mission in life, and that was to serve God. And this should also be true of all of us. And we should veer away from merely focusing on our own self-interests, but rather be concerned about the kingdom. The Bible declares to us that we must seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And the Bible says, all these things shall be added unto us. That was the mindset of James. That should be our mindset as well. Now, a while ago, I said that this message was addressed to the Jewish diaspora. When we talk about the Jewish diaspora, we're talking about the Jews who had been spread all over the Roman Empire, which tells us that this was a Catholic letter. By Catholic, I mean a universal letter applicable to all believers in Christ. So as we begin our study this morning, I'd like you to know this message relates to you. This message applies to you. And perhaps, as you have uh, meditated on the passage that we just read a while ago, you're thinking, well, this is really for me. I need this message because I am going through some trials in my life. And I'm hoping that you will find encouragement and inspiration today. So let's begin with our first point, which is, Responding to joy or responding in joy to trials. Now, verse 2 reads, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, let's focus first of all on the word trials. It comes from the Greek word poikilois, which means many colored. Could you say that with me, please? Many colored. All right. That tells us that there are many colors when it comes to trials. And maybe some of you have blue trials, 
And maybe some of you have pink trials or yellow trials. Well, the point of James really here, figuratively speaking, is that we do encounter various kinds of trials in our lives. And it comes in different degrees as well. But that is part of our own human existence. This is something that we cannot escape at all. I've heard some young Christians who have said, ever since I became a Christian, I began to experience trials. And my thinking goes, that is simply not true. Even before you came to Christ, there were already storms and difficulties and adversities and obstacles in your life. But sometimes the problem is Satan tries to highlight those storms and trials in your life. And and he says that ever since you became a Christian, well, these storms started to take place. Again, that is not true at all. Here's one very important fact. If you are living on this earth, you will definitely experience trials. No matter what your religion is, no matter what your belief is, no matter what your state is, no matter what your status is, no matter what power you have or influence you have, you will encounter trials. And so, again, that is true of our human existence. Now, here's something else I would like you to know. Notice it does not say, if you encounter various trials. But rather, what it says here is, when you encounter various trials. Now, why do I bring home that point? Well, because there's a world of difference between the word when and the word if. If the word if is used in this case, not only means that this is a possibility. It may happen or it may not happen. That is if the word if is used here. But notice that's not the word that is used here. Rather, the word that is used is when. So the issue here is not whether this will happen or not. The issue here is only in terms of its timing. But certainly, it will happen. Trials will arrive in our lives. We will encounter storms whether we like it or not. So that is a fact of life. But here we find in this verse one of the distinguishing differences in teaching between a Christian and a non-Christian. The non-Christian world will tell you, be sad when you encounter storms. Be sad when you encounter storms. That's what the world will tell you. In fact, the world will probably give you more unsolicited advice, and they will tell you, why don't you try drugs? Why don't you try drinking alcohol? Drink it up so that you can drown all of your problems away. And so they will come up with all kinds of advices, but they are not good advice. They're bad advice. But here's what the Bible counsels us to do. Instead of drowning ourselves in our problems and with drinking, the Bible says, consider it all joy. My brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, that's surprising advice. The Bible says, consider it pure joy. You know, all too often, trials prompt groanings and complaining. Well, let me tell you this. It will only make matters worse for you. All right? Because you will begin to live a life of misery when it does not have to be so. Again, the Bible tells us, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds. Trials should be faced with an attitude of joy. This should be the mindset of a Christian. Face your trials with joy in your heart. What then does that tell you? Joy is a choice. Let me say it again. Joy is a choice. I recall one person saying, you cannot control what people do to you. You cannot control 
how people react and respond to you, but you can control the way you respond. Amen? Let me say it again. You cannot control how people react or respond to you, but most definitely you can control how you respond to people and how you respond to trials and storms. And God is telling us we need to be different from other people. We need to be different from the world. When the world says we need to be sad when we encounter storms, as far as we believers are concerned, we are to consider it all joy. And the question is, why? Well, first of all, we should consider it a matter of joy because that reflects our faith and our trust in God. Because you and I know that God is sovereign. You and I know that our God is a good God. And therefore, when He allows and permits certain things in our lives, we can be sure of one thing. There is a good purpose in whatever He allows in our lives. And not only that, when we consider our trials with pure joy, it reflects our trust in the providence of God. It reflects our trust in the promises of God. And that is why we need to consider it pure joy when we encounter trials. It is a reflection of our faith. You see, when you and I do not respond in joy, but rather respond in mourning and in grief, what are we really telling? We're really telling ourselves that there are certain things that are difficult with God. We are really saying that there are certain things that are impossible with God. Well, you and I know what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures say that there is nothing difficult with God. The Scriptures say that there is nothing impossible with our God. That's one of the reasons why we need to consider it or we, we need to consider our trials with an attitude of joy. Now, trial should be seen as something that must bring rejoicing. Furthermore, I'd like you to notice what this verse says here in verse 2. It says, consider it all joy. Now, that's the New American Standard Bible translation, and I like the way it is translated because it says, all joy which means it is undiluted joy. It is not just some joy coupled with much grief. We're talking about pure joy here, all right? So that is what God is calling us to. A lot of people find joy when they escape trials, but that's not what this verse is trying to tell us. It is telling us, count it all joy in the midst of trials. Again, as we reflect on this, what are you going through at this particular time in your life? What is the challenge you are facing? What are the issues that confront you at this moment in time? Whatever they may be, here is the call of God for you. You need to consider it pure joy when you encounter trials. Now, I'd like to share to you a little illustration. How many of you are interested in finding out the origin of popcorn? Raise your hands, please. All right. And some of you might be wondering, what does popcorn have to do with joy? Well, let me tell you, I'm going to use that as an illustration. Here's the origin of popcorn. The Indians of both North and South America grew a special type of corn, which is still obviously being produced up to today. We call it popcorn. It is different from the other grains of corn because this particular type of corn uh, produces, I'm sorry, explodes into fluffy white blossoms when it is exposed to heat. Ordinary corn placed in a skillet, and brought up to 400 degrees Fahrenheit simply shrivels, dries up, and it gets hard. That's what happens with other types of corn. 
Now this is an illustration of how some people respond to trials. They shrivel, they dry up, and they become hardened. Hopefully, you're not like that. Now, this is not true with popcorn. The high temperature creates within its moist substance a gas which expands and breaks open its tough outer shell. This allows the pure white pulp to burst forth into an edible treat that is many times the size of a kernel. And like to tell you, that is how you and I are supposed to respond to trials. We should burst with joy. Amen? So the question is, are you a popcorn? I'm hoping to God you are. As you burst with joy as the trials come your way. One American pastor by the name of James H. Brooks told of visiting a friend's house and he heard the music of, bird, of a bird singing. It was not the ordinary sound of chirping. Instead, it resembled the strains of a lovely melody. And at first, Brooks did not know where it was coming from, but when he glanced around the room, he saw a beautiful bullfinch in a bird cage. The lady of the house explained that it had been taught to sing that way of all times at night. Now the question is, why at night? Well, the explanation is this. The teacher would repeat the notes time and again until the bird was able to mimic them. But this was possible only because it was dark and the bird's attention would not be distracted. See, friends, let me tell you this. Sometimes we go through dark periods in our lives. We do have times wherein it feels like it's nighttime. Everything is dark. Everything is blurry. Everything is hazy. We can't see what is beyond that darkness. But let me tell you this. It is during those times that God comes upon you in a very special way. As Paul said in the book of Corinthians, while the sufferings that we experience might be great, the comfort of God is great as well. Then Paul likewise speaks about the fellowship of his sufferings. And what that simply means is that we experience a kind of intimacy and communion when we go through certain periods of trials in our lives. The presence of God begins to manifest itself in us. And we are comforted. We have the Holy Spirit to counsel us, to direct our paths, to teach us. And that is why, again, friends, we need to rejoice during those night times in our lives because we will have a song in the night. Now, when we respond in joy in the midst of trials, what do you think will be the result? Let me bring you to our second point. When you and I respond to trials with joy, the result of that is endurance. Verse 3 reads, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Trials are not to be seen as tribulations per se, but rather we need to see them as tests in our lives. God is testing us. When you and I go through trials, He's trying to find out if we will remain faithful to Him. He's trying to determine that in spite of the pressures, if we will still obey Him. That is why we need to see these trials as tests so that we might pass with flying colors, not pass out or pass away. All right? Because sometimes that is what happens when we encounter trials. We want to pass away or we want to pass out. But no, let us determine 
to pass with flying colors. And that has to do with our mindset. That has to do with our attitude. James gives us sound advice on how to score high on every test. One who brings the right attitude to the trial will certainly end up in the honor role of God. And friends, let me tell you this. We cannot really know the character or the depth of the character of a person unless that person goes through some form of crisis. For example, let me just use an illustration. We might observe a person as being patient and gentle and loving. And just by looking at the face of that person, we might determine, well, this person, because he has an angelic face, must be very patient, loving, and caring. I'd like to be able to say, however, that that person needs to go through a test for us to really say for sure that that person is patient, gentle, and kind. So here's what you and I can do. Slap him. I'm just kidding. Don't slap him, please. But you see, if that happens, try to see how he responds to that. When he responds in a wrong way, then you already know what kind of a character that person has. And that is why Chuck Swindle was correct when he said, crisis does not shape character, but rather it reveals character. Let me say it again. Crisis does not shape character, it reveals character. And I believe what he really meant there is that it is in our crisis moments that it is determined whether we are people with deep character. Now, joy should be the reaction of the Christian because this will produce endurance. The more you are exposed to trials, the stronger you become so that when you face them, you can handle them. There was a time I was into running. Now I have stopped running because my knees have given up already. But there was a time I was into running, and here's what I discovered. At first, when I was running about 10 or 15 minutes, I found out that after 15 minutes, I could no longer go on. But then I persevered because I knew that if I kept at this, I would develop endurance. So later on, the 15 minutes became 20 minutes. And the 20 minutes later on became 30. And the 30 became 40, 45, 50, until I could actually run for one hour without stopping. Guess where that came from? That came from the fact that I allowed myself to go through a period of training so that I could develop endurance. And that is exactly what God is really trying to do in our lives. Whether we like it or not, brothers and sisters, God has a good intention and purpose why you are going through trials. He is trying to develop endurance in you because life is hard, because life is not fair, because people will not always treat you well. Circumstances will not always go the way you want it to be. And that is why if you are a person with a soft character, you will wilt under the pressure. You will wilt under the difficulty. And that is not what God wants. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to be an overcomer. And by the way, for those of you who are parents, this tells you that you should not spoil your children. A lot of times, we just want to give our children everything they want. When they cry, immediately we give them what they want. When they have their tantrums, we immediately give them what they want. Let me tell you, when you start doing that, you are creating a very soft character. And what will happen 
is that person, that young boy or that young girl will later on grow up and he or she will become disappointed. Why? Because he or she will discover that not everything he or she wants will take place in his or her life. And that's why you must not spoil your children. I recall my wife having a conversation with Tina Carnes, and Tina Carnes gave a very wonderful advice in so far as, you know, uh, raising up our children. When we raise up our children, we should raise them up at the beginning quite tightly. Everything should be tight at the beginning. But then later on, it should begin to loosen up because now they already have values. Now they already have certain things that they have embraced. The problem sometimes with us is we're very loose at the beginning. And then we start tightening up in the middle when they are teenagers. And when you do that, they will begin to be frustrated. Because initially, you were always giving them what they want. But now, you've changed your tactic. And that's why, friends, again, as we raise up our children, raise up our children in a way by which they understand that at times they will be rejected. At times, people will not treat them well. At times, circumstances will not go the way they want it to be. And when they understand that, when they grow up, they will be strong people. They will have endurance. Think about the people who have been spoiled so many times. Some of them, when they go through pressure, when they are adults, give up. Some of them even commit suicide. Some of them take drugs. Some of them begin to become alcoholics. Why? Because they can't take the pressure. They're very soft. And that is why we need to rejoice in the Lord because what God is really trying to do to us is He's trying to produce endurance. In other words, what God wants is that we do not become victims, but we become victors. There is no gain in endurance without some investment in trials. Let me share to you about how a mother eagle raises up her baby eaglets. The eagle always builds her nest in the tallest of trees or the highest of mountain ledges. Someone who has observed this majestic bird constructing her home relates that she first lays down briars, sharp thorns, jagged stones, and all kinds of sharp objects which would seem to be unsuited for her purpose. However, after doing that, she now begins to cover this structure with a thick layer of wool, feathers, and the fur of animals she has killed. So that at the top, it's smooth, it's silky, it's comfortable. Now, this makes the nesting place soft and comfortable, a delightful sanctuary where she may hatch her young. But the eaglets will not remain in their inviting cradle for long. The day will come when the mother will start stirring up the nest. With her sharp talons, she will tear away some of the soft, downy lining so that her little ones will begin to feel the sharp edges underneath. The briars, the jagged stones, those sharp things, those eaglets would start feeling that. Now, up to this time, their food has been dropped into their mouths, but now the young birds become miserable that they are willing to get out and begin looking for their own. This is the mother's objective. She's not being cruel, but is instinctively producing discontent with the old life of ease and spurring them on to full development. And of course, you and I know what would happen. When they become uncomfortable with their nest, 
they will want to start flying. And that is exactly what happens with eagles. And that is why they're able to soar even high above the storm, high above the wind. Why are they able to do that? Because of the training that they go through. Many athletes will tell you this, that the training is more difficult than the actual game itself. Now think about this. When you talk about actual games, how do games last? I mean, how long do games last? If you're talking about a basketball game, it will only last for about an hour. All right? But how long does the training take place? For some professional teams, it could be somewhere between four to eight hours a day. Four to eight hours a day. It is intentionally made difficult by the coaches and by the trainers. Why? Because when game time comes, it's only one hour. And it becomes a lot easier for them to perform. Why? Because they've been training for four to eight hours a day. So friends, let me tell you this. The reason why God is allowing trials to take place in your life is because He is training you so that when you do face those giants in your life, you will be able to handle them. Let me ask you this question. Did David immediately fight Goliath without any experience whatsoever? No. If you and I go back to the Scriptures, you and I will find out that before David faced Goliath, he first faced lions and bears. And so he was able to defeat these lions and these bears, and because of that, he began to gain confidence. So when this nine-foot-nine giant began to mock the nation of Israel, the armies of Israel, David knew he was up to the task. David knew he could handle this giant. Why? Because he was able to defeat the bears and the lions, and this nine-foot-nine giant would fall before him. And that is why, friends, again, thinking about this, all of life is really a test. All of life is really training for something bigger. There will be bigger challenges in our lives. There will be bigger storms in our lives. The question is, are you ready? Are you prepared? The reason why God allows us to go through trials is to prepare us. A long time ago, about a few years ago, Dr. Grant Osborne came here and taught us, and I am so thankful to God for this man of God because he is one of the world-renowned Bible scholars who have come to our church and has tremendously blessed us. He's the author of The Hermeneutical Spiral, which is the standard in most Bible seminaries. And so one time we were exchanging emails, and so he asked me, what would you like me to teach your church? And I don't know if this surprised him, but I said, Dr. Grant, I'd like you to teach about the theology of suffering. And some of you might be thinking, this Pastor Mel is really crazy. Of all topics, the theology of suffering. Well, let me tell you one reason why I wanted that to be taught. I wanted that to be taught because I know for a fact that we will go through trials, storms, and difficulties in our lives. And when you are equipped with that kind of a theology, when the trials come, you will no longer be surprised. But rather, your response would be that of joy. One of the people who attended that seminar happens to be a very famous actress. Surprisingly, she completed all, I think it was three days, she completed the three-day seminar. From beginning to the end, she was there. And I believe that God used that time to prepare her for an eventuality, which probably she did not expect. When she went back to Manila to do some projects, there were some men who rode her car 
And upon riding her car, their intention was to, to uh, steal the car. And because this lady knew them by their faces, they stabbed her. They started to stab her multiple times. But being a very good actress, she played dead. And she must have been very convincing. Because I'm thinking to myself, I, I think it would be very difficult for me to play dead. But that's what she did. She played dead. And these robbers were convinced that she was. So they threw her out of the car. And thankfully, she was able to call for help. She was hospitalized, but she has now fully recovered. And you know, the amazing thing, however, for me, is not so much that she was able to survive, but even as she survived, even as she was in the hospital, she never raised her fist against God. She never said to God, Lord, why did you allow this to happen to me? But rather, I believe that situation even made her a very strong spiritual woman in the Lord. So what happened there was preparation. And the question I would like to, e to ask each and every one of you is this. If a storm takes place in your life, are you prepared? Will you be prepared? Will you be able to face those challenges, those problems, those difficulties, those obstacles, those impediments in your life? Friends, that's the reason why you need to consider it all joy when you go through trials because God is simply preparing you. And perhaps He is even preparing you for something bigger in your life. Remember the story of Joseph the dreamer? how he was sold by his own brothers, how he became a slave, and later on he was framed up by a woman who wanted to have sex with him, and yet he was faithful to God. And the result of that was he landed in prison. For 13 long years, this man suffered. He was sold as a slave when he was 17. But look at what happens to him at the age of 30. God promotes him, and he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Or sorry, yes, he becomes the prime minister of Egypt, second to Pharaoh. And the question is, if he did not go through what he went through, would he be prepared to become the prime minister of Egypt? Would he be prepared to be the second in command to Pharaoh? Most probably not. Let me encourage you right now. Maybe just like Joseph, God is preparing you for something big. Maybe God has something in store for you. But you must be prepared for whatever task God gives to you. And the first thing you need to do is to respond with joy. Similarly, sufferings, Bring about maturity in the area of endurance. Verse 4, we go to our last point. Here's the result of endurance. Bible says spiritual maturity in verse 4. Look at verse 4. It says, And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, when you endure in trial or remain strong in trials, what is the result of that? You will gain maturity. The Greek word for perfect here is teleon, which actually speaks of spiritual maturity. And it is not just any kind of maturity. It is a maturity that is complete, lacking in nothing. Now, how do you know that a person is mature? Well, you will know a person is mature when you observe him and you see that crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis, he always responds in a righteous way. He is predictable in a good sense. He will always do the right thing. That is what spiritual maturity is all about. And that 
is where God would want to bring us. And what a wonderful place this church would be. What a wonderful place our families would be if there is spiritual maturity. Let me ask you this question. How many here are married? All right. How many of you would like to have a spiritually immature spouse? Raise your hands. All right. Nobody. How many here would like to have a spiritually mature spouse? Raise your hands. All right. Praise God. And why not? Because when you have a spiritually mature spouse, what can you expect? Good character. Amen? You can expect gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, joy, peace, self-control. So what do you think will that bring on the table in so far as your marriage is concerned? It will make your marriage a happy marriage. Amen? So pray for trials. Now you don't have to pray for trials. They will come. But rather pray instead that your spouses will respond to those trials in the right way. Because if they respond in the right way, when they respond in joy, they will have endurance. And when they endure, they will have spiritual maturity. And what a wonderful place your family will be. It will be a place of refuge for you. Amen? It will be wonderful. Why? Because they are spiritually mature. And the same thing is true. Why would we not want spiritually mature children? In the case of children, they want spiritually mature parents. Amen? You don't want immature uh, parents who are unable to teach you the right thing and the right responses. But think about that. Look at what would happen when you are surrounded by spiritually mature people? And that is why, again, the intention of God here is to complete us in spiritual maturity. There was one tourist in Italy who watched with curiosity as a lumberman occasionally jabbed his sharp hook into a log chopped tree, separating it from others that were floating down a mountain stream. So this tourist asked him, why are you doing that? Why are you separating some of the trees? And the worker replied, they may all look alike to you, but a few of them are quite different. The ones I let pass are from trees that grew in a valley where they were always protected from the storms. Their grain is coarse. They're not good quality. The ones I have hooked and kept apart from the rest came from high up in the mountains. From the time they were small, they were beaten by strong winds. This toughens the trees and gives them a fine and beautiful grain. And I have chosen them for choice work. They are too good to make into plain lumber. So that's a wonderful lesson, isn't it? The trees that are in the high mountains, beaten by the strong winds, are better trees. They are stronger trees. And that's what happens when you and I are beaten by the storms of life. You know... I recall one other thing that I read some time back, that if you want a tree to become fruitful, if it's a fruit-bearing tree but it's not bearing fruits, and you want it to become fruit-bearing, you know what you need to do? One of the things you can do to make it fruit-bearing is to slash the trunk. You slash the trunk. And guess what? When you slash the trunk, you will shock them into fruitfulness. Luther Burbank must have discovered much the same thing from his experience with plant cultivation. He came to realize that injuries 
or other adverse factors are not necessarily harmful. They actually make the organism stronger. He cited the cactus as an example. For centuries, it had endured all kinds of unfavorable conditions such as incessant heat, searing winds, and parching drought. Yet it did not die but proved to be extremely hardy. Adverse conditions contributed to its ability to adapt. In fact, if you want to kill a cactus, water it all the time. It will die. And that is why, again, what do we see here? The God who built into plant life this marvelous quality would do no less for you and I. Amen? He would do no less for you and I. Why? Because we are the crown of God's creation. Amen? Strong Christians are not grown in the hothouse of a controlled spiritual climate. And that is why He allows trials in our lives. Let me close with 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And notice the same mindset, the same mindset as James. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 reads, In this you greatly rejoice. James says, consider it all joy. Peter says, greatly rejoice. Same thing. Even now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith is more precious than gold. And that is why it is tested by fire. How do you purify gold? Is there anybody here who is a goldsmith? Raise your hands, please. Is there anybody here who is a goldsmith? Well, let me tell you how gold is purified. It is, it is purified by putting heat under it. Guess what happens when you do that? All the impurities will float to the top. And the moment it floats to the top, what the goldsmith does is he skims off all those impurities, all those dirt, so that in the end, what you have is pure gold. Amen? And that's what God wants. He wants us to shine like gold. Amen? Amen? Give the Lord a big hand, please. So what do you do when you go through trials? Respond in joy. When you respond in joy, it will result in endurance. And when you are enduring whatever you go through with joy, you will have spiritual maturity. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I know that there are some here who are going through trials in their lives. I don't know exactly what they're going through. Maybe unfair criticism. Maybe injustice. Maybe problems in business. Maybe problems in marriage. Or maybe just the plain surroundings itself has become a problem. Lord, whatever the case might be, allow us to choose joy. Allow us to consider it pure joy when we encounter these trials. For Lord, you want to produce in us endurance, and after endurance, spiritual maturity as well. 
And Father, I trust that you'll accomplish all of your good purposes in our lives. And we also thank you for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. Whatever has been achieved today, we give you back all the glory, all the praises, and all the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.